I hope you're excited about being here this morning. I to kind of let you into the behind the curtains of how much a little nerd I am when it comes to Bible and church and Christians and stuff. We were in Arkansas for a Sunday and I went to two different churches worship services. I went in the morning and I went at night, two totally different churches and experiences and I just I just loved it. But uh it was kind of fun to be in the Bible Belt in the South and to see, again, what it's like in a community that is excited about God and wants Scripture and uh, two very different expressions of two different churches, but fun and neat just to see people that love the Lord. And uh, I, I'm hoping that we're, we'll be that church, too, for this area. So, amen, amen. Amen. Uh, Romans chapter 10, we're going to get started back into our series, uh, and Paul has been been talking about a lot of deep, kind of detailed theology, explaining the simple things and the complex things from uh, all different lines of grace and faith and hope and trust and belief and uh, works and how how do those all things connect together and, and how does he understand it, and we, we love that. Uh, from Paul being a, a full-fledged, high-ranking rabbi for a really long time and then having enough of an experience with God that he could actually pen 13 books of the New Testament. Um, man, we're hearing it from the source in a lot of ways. Uh, and for nine chapters, he have been talking about all these kind of things in relation to uh, Israel, the Jews, and how they've kind of missed it. Uh Christ came and they had all these prophecies and the whole thing and they're still stuck in some things like the law and Judaism and the whole thing and Messiah has come and gone and they're still looking for that which shan't return. Uh, not in the way they see it. Uh, and so they're they're missing out. And Paul's kind of explaining all this and, and, and in chapter 10 today, he's going to kind of show, it's like, well, but, but not... Not all is lost for them. Um, yeah, they miss Messiah. Yeah, they have incorrect beliefs about Jesus. But there's still hope. And how do we think about them? Uh, and it's kind of fun because although the discussion is about Israel, uh, there are many, many crossovers for us. Many crossovers for today, our community, Western culture. Um, and where we sit. And so it's really kind of a fun, fun chapter and goes through really some pretty complex things. There's, there's only 20 something verses. So it's not like the longest of chapters, but when you get into concepts, it's one of the longest chapters. So we're going to not feel like we're reading as much as we do some days, but we're going to feel like we're flying faster than we have most days in a lot of ways. All right. You ready for the ride? Get in, strap in. Here we go. Lord, thanks for this morning. Uh, thanks for vacations and thanks for breaks. Thanks for a day, a week, where we can stop and uh, regroup, be reminded, be instructed, be encouraged, be assured. Uh, Father, be taught, be touched. And I pray, Lord, for that this morning. I pray that our time in your word would be exactly that. It would be your time, your message for us. 
uh, in a way that makes us different, clearer, calmer, uh, healthier. Uh, create in us, Lord, the kind of heart that you want. And so I pray, Lord, for that today. And we pray this in your son Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. They said, Amen. Amen. That's how they said it, right? Amen. <laughs> Just a little bit of the Southern might come out this week. We got about four days into our, our trip, and my wife dropped y'all. And my kids are like, ah, You said y'all. She lost the bet. She was the first one to go Southern in the family. So. So, uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 1, brothers, uh, when he says brothers, he's talking to everybody or just men? Everyone. Everyone. Okay, it's just, it's kind of like in Spanish, when you go plural, you use masculine, but you're talking about everybody. Okay? So, people, comma, my heart's desire. Fun little phrase right there, my heart's desire. We're going to hear what Paul, 13 book author of New Testament, rabbi, uh, top of the top of the heap. This is what his heart desires after, okay? Kind of important. It's going gonna, it's gonna to really point a little bit to you at what do you desire in your heart, okay? Hopefully, we're just going to challenge that a little bit, all right? My heart's desire and prayer to God, right? Those two together, he pairs them. My prayers coincide with what my heart's desire are, which is, by the way, a good little side comment. We'll talk about it another day when we're doing spiritual disciplines. Uh, but those together are for what? Them. Them. This is a test, folks. Welcome to English class. <laughs> Them. Form of word. That phrase, those types of words are called. Sorry? You're a math teacher. How do you know it's a pronoun? <laughs> you like all types of logic, right? Learning. Lifelong learner. Right? That's a pronoun. Okay, good. Uh, bad news. You're in the penalty box now. You got one answer. Now you got to let someone else have a turn. Okay, take a turn. What uh, voice is it? First person, second person, third person. Which one is it? Third. I, I think the answer is Jesus. <laughs> Come on, folks. Third person. Who got it? Somebody said it pretty good. Was that you back there? No? Third person. Who's the third person? Third person is when I'm talking, I'm first person, right? I'm talking to you, you're second person, right? When you and I talk about him, he's the third person, right? Watch what, watch, uh, watch what Paul has done. His heart's desire is for third person. Once you look at the top of your outline, uh, it says Romans chapter 10. And then what does it say? Conditioning the heart. We're going to have a, a subtle theme throughout the chapter of heart condition. We're going to find out from the very beginning the condition of Paul's heart. Its desire is for third person. It's kind of interesting. Because most all heart's desires in our culture back then and today... Starts in which voice? First person. First person. I want. I think. I need. I have to. When are you going to give that to me? me? Right? Me, myself, and I. I wonder in the course of all humanity 
for all time, what percentages of sentences the subject was first person, me, I, myself? I, I bet it's drastically too high. Because that's the normal condition of what we want. Uh, Paul is at a a heightened place, an enlightened place, where he's, let's, let's just say, ahead of us a little bit, okay? Uh, all of sin falls short of the glory of God. I get that. Nobody's perfect. I don't know. We all have our gifts. and all. Yes, but Paul, is, he specializes in something, right? Theology. And he's gotten to a place where he knows that the best condition of his heart is to be third-person focused. Well, gee, Scott, that's kind of a lot to draw out of one pronoun. Okay, let me give you a second. Ready? Prayer to God for them is that they. They. What is they? Pronoun, third person, different form of same word. Right? One's indirect object, one's another tense, whatever. Uh, Them and they. And that they may be what? Saved. Saved. Condition of Paul's heart is that he's come to a place where his heart's desire is that other people be saved. Wonderful. Uh, what does saved mean? Because that's only one word, right? We say one word, but boy, it kind of means a lot more than just one word. I mean, to just say saved is kind of the poor man's version. It's the bottom shelf of the cabinet to explain what. If you were to detail saved, you would have to have a, a bigger sentence of a person subject and then a verb in there that is something along like wait a minute if i go this way with you and i'm facing this way then the sentence is going backwards let's start over here <laughs> there's a subject a person and then there's a verb of understanding coming to know believing accepting born again or whatever god or as first service would say mark heitzman jesus right to a place where they are good relationship with him or some kind of healthy condition, right? That, that'd be a fun way to define saved. A person comes to an, a loving knowledge of God and acceptance to where he gets to go to heaven or uh, experiences God on a greater level. Awesome. Why didn't he say that for himself? He says that for other people. That's his focus. Third person. This is what I want for them. He's he's matured. He's elevated to the point where he's already experienced that. And now he knows the goal of our Christian faith is to condition our heart in such a way that self is no longer number one drive, but third person becomes a greater desire. Pretty cool. This is how the chapter starts. Uh, who's he talking out? Uh, talking about specifically, he's talking about Israel. Because they have this problem of having missed Messiah, now what? Jesus is not on their radar, or actually was on their radar, and they thought just a guy, not even that great of a guy. In fact, we didn't really like him, so we killed him, right? Uh, now what do we do? And he says, well, you know, hey, understand. Although they've missed it, although they misunderstand or have different ideology, my prayer is that they have yet to be saved, but will be one day. For I bear, verse 2, for I bear them, them, third person pronoun. Okay, I'm just, I'm going to beat that one into the ground just one more time. Okay, fourth time. I bear them witness that they, third person pronoun. Okay, now we got it? All right. Uh, 
that they have a zeal for God. They have a desire for God. They have a love for God. They, they have a pursuit of God. They seek God in some way, but not according to knowledge. They're chasing God, but not, not the right way. It's like telling somebody to go play a sport and don't tell them any of the rules. Here's a uniform. Here's some, some equipment. And here's a ball. Here's a timer. And go have fun. Well, wait, what are the rules? It's like they're chasing something, but they don't understand how to do it, how to win, how to score. Yeah, they give them the rules, but don't give them the ball. How fun is that game? <laughs> hey, go play. Where's the ball? I don't know what to chase. Right? That's just running. So that's not a sport, I don't think. I don't know. Um, verse 3. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God. He's going to go into two righteousnesses, right? Catch them. Being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness. Right? They miss God's righteousness, namely Christ, and the, the lead up to it in the post-game. Uh, they said, well, we'll solve it on our own. We'll follow the law as best we can. They, and so therefore, they did not submit to God's righteousness, namely Christ. For Christ is the end of the law of, for righteousness. Is he the end of the law, period? Well, it might say that someplace else. Here, it's talking about the righteousness argument. It, Christ is the end of the law of righteousness. Combined phrase. That law would somehow lead to righteousness. You know, if I uh, sacrifice the right turtle doves at the right times, the right places, and bring the blood and drip it over the thing, and then share some with somebody and all that, then we'll be, we're on our way to righteousness. I said, no, that, that's, that's not how it works. Verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law of righteousness for everyone who, what? Believe. Believes. Uh, did it say everyone? Because isn't it supposed to mean some who believe or a few believe i thought the road is narrow and few are those that find it shouldn't it be a few what is it everyone everyone now out of everyone some will believe but it's offered to everyone isn't that great belief is the key great how do you do belief you an equation for that you're going to have one by the end of the day in fact, in the next 30 minutes, you're going to have an equation for belief. All right? You won't believe it. Sorry. Uh, for Moses, verse 5, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. That's the one that failed. That, right? And that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith, or Christ, says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend? Who will ascend? Uh, is, that, is that about Jesus? It's about a third person who they're either going to ascend or descend, right? Paul's going to make the argument right here. Don't talk about who can earn it by ascending or lose it by descending into heaven or hell because you're dragging Christ all over the place rather than Christ being the one who pushes whichever way they go, right? Hey, by the way, he's free to go wherever he wants. He, just let him walk around. We love kids in here, okay? And everybody in here knows it won't stop me. If I won't even notice it. I'll be just like, boom, here we go. All right. Uh, where was I? Yeah. Who shall ascend into heaven? Uh, that is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? It says, it doesn't say these things, but it does say this. What is it? Verse 8. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. So what's he saying? He's saying, how close... 
How close is, is God's word to you? Right here. Hmm? Right here. Right here? Near to the... It's almost like how close is the wrong question. Because if it's, if it's in your mouth and in your heart, to, to ask a question about proximity, where? where? Where is it? It's in you. It's almost like a character question. A being question rather than a proximity question or a location. I'm not, it's not near me. It is me. How cool is that when the question uh, about access comes up? Like, how do I access God? How do I access His Word? Well, if it's in your mouth and in your heart, you just got to learn how to access it because it's, it's right in you. Then it's an exercise of practice rather than uh, in search of. Right? Remember that, that show, Leonard Nimoy? In Search Of? Second best show he ever did. <laughs> right? It was a great show. There's, there's just one better. Right? Did you know this about Spock? There is a great uh, little um, documentary on uh, Netflix right now, For the Love of Spock. A little commercial. Sorry. We can move back to the sermon now. Um, <laughs> But you don't have to search for God's word or God himself. He's, he's right in you, right? He says, that's what it really says. Because if you confess, verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen. Amen is right. There's nothing more. That's it. Believe in my heart. Confess with my mouth. Are you sure I don't have to like do a 10 week class or something? Or, or No. There's no degrees. There's no bloodline. You don't have to marry into any. How easy is that? And yet how hard is that? Paul says this is what they've missed. They've missed something that's so easy. If they just believe. He's going to get into what does believe mean, right? Remember I said you'll have a process for that? Verse 10, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So awesome. And now you know why the title of the sermon is Conditioning the Heart, because Paul starts after 13 books, Romans, probably one of the latest books that he wrote, uh, and all his rabbi experience and all this history of being uh, foremost in the law and such, he starts to write chapter 10. He said, this is my heart's condition now. But he talks about the condition of a heart prior to that. He says, back when it used to be that my heart was getting to a place where it believed. See, Paul understands the progression of the heart. He starts in the chapter talking about where he is. And he's kind of working backwards to where a heart gets midway. And maybe where a heart starts by the end of the chapter. And it's just like a backwards look at the progression of the heart, which is really kind of cool. And what we love about Paul and how he can explain things, right? But this is how you believe, with your heart. And with the heart, you're justified. And with the mouth, you confess. And then you're saved. For the scripture says, verse 11, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. You like that? I mean, the Jew, Israel, they were God's chosen people. They had all these covenants, all these prophets. 
And yet there's no distinction? I mean, Greeks, what do they have? False gods? Very questionable practices, if, if we're being polite. And yet God says, or Paul says about God, there's no distinction. He wants all of them to say, be saved. He wants all of them to come to a confession place and a belief place where they get God. Pretty cool. For the same Lord is Lord of some. A few. The privileged. We love that little word, don't we? He's the same God of all. So what's the difference? The decision that people make. Right? Bestowing his riches on all who call on him. So we got all. That's who he cares about. But the ones, the conditional faith, the ones who call on him. Well, who calls on him? How do they call on him? What would, what would be needed to have a calling setting where people would be in that setting and decide they want to call him? Right? Uh, great question. But it kind of does leave, leave the onus of salvation to a decision made by us. God's made his decision about us already. Right? His decision about you is love. Your decision is you want him or you don't. Love back or not. He popped the question. Hey, want to be married? You either say yes or no. That's how it goes. Uh, How then will they... uh, Excuse me, verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him whom they have not believed? Why would you call somebody that you don't know? Have you ever been called by somebody you don't know? That's kind of awkward. Hang up. <laughs> That's what I do. I, hey, I program numbers in my phone. If I don't recognize you, psh, send send a voicemail. It's a voicemail. It's another a word for garbage, right? Uh, and how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? Well, they're not going to call on somebody they haven't believed in. They're going to believe in stuff they've heard about him. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Those are great questions. Are those real questions? Are they Socratic? Implying an answer that he already knows and he's trying to get you to ask the question in your own mind so that you invest in it and you come to your own answer, the same answer that he wants you to come to. Both. By the way, does the verse look familiar? Look at the top of your outline. Verse 14, it's the one I gave you. Right? How then will they call on him who they have not believed? Right? They had this question. Hey, you know, anyone who believes... Not be put to shame. And then I ask you the question, well, how do you believe, right? What's the equation for that? He's about to give it to us. He's working that way. Verse 15. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Amen? Amen. You worried about your footwear? You know, all you got to do, start talking about Jesus and your feet will start looking better. (laughs) You don't even have to change your shoes. When you have a good God experience with somebody, do you ever recognize the shoes? No. When somebody later is like, hey, how did your conversation go with Jean? It was amazing. Oh, really? What kind of shoes did she have? I don't know. Were they good? They must have been. (laughs) But we were talking about such and such. There's a higher value going on in life. It's the discussion of God. Way more important than your shoes. 
But the point is this. It's beautiful to bring that higher discussion to someone. Third person. That's his heart's desire. Because they've got a heart in a different condition. Verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. Like, wait a minute. Once people hear the gospel, don't don't they just obey it? It's implied. Paul's saying outright, uh, no, they don't. Just because they hear it doesn't mean they do it. But something's about to happen to you, and I want to make sure you catch it. Something, one of these things is not like the other. It doesn't quite really fit or it's not supposed to. You thought and we're going to make it fit today. We're going to jam a square peg in a round hole. Okay, here we go. He's talking about what? Not all have obeyed the gospel. gospel. We're talking about the gospel. The gospel is the gospel of who? Jesus Jesus Christ. Okay, we just want to make sure you clear the setting that we're starting with. For Isaiah says, wait a minute, what just happened? First Testament. Isaiah is a prophet. What's the problem we have? We're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and now we're going to quote Isaiah. What's the disconnect, folks? 700 years. About 700 years. Okay. Was Jesus around when Isaiah was prophesying? No. Well, yes. Trick question. Oh, I got gotcha. you. Right? In what form? Right? The 33-year the human experience of Christ with the disciples and that whole thing had yet to happen. It happens hundreds of years later. And yet when Paul talks about the gospel, he uses Isaiah to justify it. It all goes meant to go together. Pretty cool in thinking about how Paul sees it. Right? It's all together. What does this Isaiah say hundreds of years before Christ comes on the scene, but yet is still gospel? Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Why would Isaiah ask that question? Who has believed what they've heard from us? They've heard from us, but who's actually believed it? What's the implication? Not all that hear believe. believe. Whoa. And this is Isaiah saying it. Pretty good guess that he's right. And that's the question to God. Who, who got it and who missed it? Right? So faith comes from hearing. Some are going to believe. Some are not. But some will believe. And they'll believe because they heard it. And hearing through the word of Christ. That word of Christ that's in our mouth and in our hearts. Right? But I ask, verse 18, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. So they have heard it. And yet Israel, did they understand it? Once they heard it, did they understand it? Verse 19, first Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. Why would he make them jealous with those who are not a nation? Because those who are not a nation are going to believe and now they'll be jealous because they missed it. When they heard it, they just didn't believe it. They didn't understand it. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Whoa. You mean, if we choose against, does God make people angry? With good reason. I will make you angry. Hmm. 
I thought God was good and loving. Yes, and he will do whatever it takes for you to see his love and goodness. Mm -hmm. Even if it's making you angry for a little while to get your attention and draw you unto himself. Mm -hmm. Wow, it sounds backwards, and yet, usually that's how I learn. Right? Uh, then, Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. Whoa. Is Israel really asking for him? Not really. Uh, is God going to show himself to them? Yeah, he is. Uh, this is really more about uh, our non-Jews, Gentiles. Are Gentiles going to be saved who weren't even seeking him? Absolutely. Welcome to Rock Bible Church, Gentiles. Okay, pretty sure we don't have any uh, Jews in here. We, we would love them. They're totally accepted <laughs> here. Non-discriminatory, right? But uh, this is good news for us because that's what we are. We're all Gentiles. And those who did not ask for him, get a piece of him. That's great news for us. It's great news about God, isn't it, too? Without even looking for him, you could get him. How close is he to you then, right? How, how in you is he trying to be that without looking for him or asking for him, you could stumble onto him? How cool is that? That's, that's called access, I think, right? But of Israel, I mean, that's great news for us, but of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. What's he saying? Israel has been disobedient and they've been contrary. Not conforming, not cooperative, not collaborative. They've been contrary. They don't obey, they disobey. As much as they try to follow the law, mm, they, they just, you didn't know no prophet in Israel was ever successful. What? You know, there's only one prophet that was ever successful. His name was Jonah. Jonah. Do you remember who Jonah prophesied to? Gentiles. Those outside the, the, the covenant. And they turned. Love that. You know what Jonah says? I knew it, God. I knew it. That's why I didn't want to go. Because I knew that if you sent me and I told them, they would turn and you would redeem them. And I, man, I didn't want that to happen. Somebody had a bad condition of the heart. Right? He had to have to go through that same process of conditioning his heart. Why? Because we have a God whose desire is what? All day long, I hold out my hand to people. Wow, isn't that great? So the question remains, how do you believe? How do you condition your heart so that you can take advantage of this all day long hand gesture to you? Great question, isn't it? May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen? Amen. Let's look at it, because uh, if you missed it, you're going to get it right now. Five steps. I couldn't combine it into three. Sorry. That was not a sincere apology, by the way. Um, but the first thing that we got to do in conditioning our heart, is, we're recognizing what Paul is, is doing. He says, my heart is in this condition now, but kind of let me tell you how I got there. And the first thing that he says is, is, is you got to hear what is being sent. You got to hear what's being sent. 
He says, how will they hear unless someone is sent? Right? Verses 17 uh, and 18. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask you, have they not heard? You see, some people will hear and some people won't. You get to decide to hear. How, how many ways does God speak, by the way? Many, many, more than you know? Is that a fair, that's a good, that's a pretty good definitive answer right there. He speaks in more ways than you know. What if you tried, sought to hear him in more ways than you're used to? Behold, I go to the Father, I go to prepare a place for you, don't worry, I'm going to leave you a helper, Holy Spirit, God with you always, even to the end of the age. God's spirit with you. What, what would like a spirit leading be for you? If the spirit led you. How many different ways could he do that? Which ones would work best for you? Which ones are you praying for, asking about? Let's get off the spirit and God himself. Well, let's talk about just people. Um, who, who speaks the word of God to you? Don't say me. Don't, this is a, such a Sunday school answer. No, besides me, like who, who are the influences that you feel like you get to hear God through those relationships? Are you, I mean, are you just hearing to Fred talk or do you think that maybe God could be in that once in a while? Wanda, Fred and Wanda are my go-to generic names, by the way. They don't actually attend here, but someday we're going to get a couple named Fred and Wanda and I'm going to freak out. Um, I mean, it was God's word. We can get him to speak to us through that, but what other experiences? God Could God speak to you through an experience? We dedicate time or money or effort or whatever, by you being a blessing to somebody else, by you showing mercy, uh, by you sacrificing. How many different ways can you hear the message that God's trying to send to you? How about, how about this one? How about praying, God... What are you saying to me? What do you want me to hear? Tell me. It's so weird. I mean, the last 11 days, we had this experience going back to where we were 10, 10 years ago, a decade ago, and running into old memories and remembering a little bit of that piece of towards the end, it was over. It needed to be over. What I had done was it was time to move on and what's next. And I remember joking with friends. I mean, I'm a pastor, so I've, I've done a little bit at that point in my life. And I, I kind of understand that God speaks and the whole thing. And I'm kind of joking with people. So so what's next? I'd say, I don't, I don't know. God's definitely speaking. I just have no idea what he's saying. There were months Hard months, difficult months, where we, where Julie and I, are just praying. God, wh- what do you want us to hear? What do you want us to do? I'm so glad I asked that question. Now we get to hang out, <laughs> right? And, and I'm out of ninety percent humidity. You know, so um, God's trying to get a message to you, and and you, your challenge, should you accept it, is uh, how, how do you find ways to facilitate that in your life? Right? And get confirmation of it. Secondly, uh, understand the missable message. Understand the missable message. 
uh, verse 19 said, but I asked, did Israel not understand the idea being they heard what we said, but did they, did they comprehend it? Did they fix on it? Did they spin on it? Did they let it meditate in their minds for a little? Did they, they think about all the ramifications or how it would make sense? Or did they try to work out the things that seemed contradictory? I mean, just play with it a little while. God, are you, are you really saying go back to California? Because that's, 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 that's moving the wrong way economically. Right? Are, are you really saying start a church? And that, you can't, I've never ever wanted, that has never been the desire of my heart, God. Why would you say, well, no, stop saying that. You're, you are saying that? <laughs> I need a nap. Right? Uh, what would that look like, God? See, here's the deal. Understanding what God has to say to you is missable. Really? Well, missable is not a word. Well, no, you missed when it became a word. So many characters in the Bible, they miss what was supposed to happen, what God was saying, and God comes in and fixes it. And, and amen for that. And if you miss it, guess what? Good news for you. Even if you're disobedient, not seeking Him, not calling to Him, and contrary, He still will what? All day long, stretch out His hand to try and drag you in. But during the dragging process, pick up what you can along the way. Think about it. Ask questions. How about, how about this prayer for God? Ready? Ready? This is super profound. You can't get this, I don't think, at any other church. I'm not sure any other pastor would suggest this even. They're, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. But how about this prayer? Hey! How about that one? That's a good prayer. Hey! What's that imply? I want your attention. I'm here. I'm paying attention. Hey! We, we drove for three days out to third world country. And, and three, three days back. Along the road, there's be these huge trucks, bales and bales. And when we go by one of the trucks, I go, hey! Everybody would look. And it'd be a truck full of hay. They go, oh, very funny, Dad. It's like dad humor. I said, no, it's pastor humor. We go by the next truck. Hey! And they go, oh, great pastor humor, Dad. I know, it's dad humor. Just kept switching up on it. But what if you simplified your prayer life? I mean, I was trying to be a little bit funny, but I, I used the irony to really drive a point. Hey, God. What's going on? What are you doing? Why? And and how about outright? I don't I don't like this. Why don't you just go direct with them? What? How am I supposed to understand this? You drug me and my family, parents crying, loading a plane, going across the country, sold everything. I can't get back into that market. What? And I get there for a few weeks and my boss is in trouble. Oh, man. I wanted to say to him, boy, what are you doing? <laughs> That's a great prayer. Right? Because one, he's not threatened by anything we say. Right? If you have a little bit of a sense of humor when you talk to him, you might have more fun. Uh, and here, because here's the deal. He's trying to have fun with you. 
He's doing everything he can to get your attention. Hearing him is easy. Understanding him is easy. All it takes? Effort. Obey. Ask. All simple words you learn in kindergarten. Right? There's, there's no profound, multi-syllabic, or I don't even, see? You don't even need to know that stuff. Right? Go simple on it. Uh, because once you hear and you start to understand, uh, then you can, can condition your heart with belief and confession. You can condition your heart with belief and confession, which means you call out to and seek him. There's so many references on that one with seven different verses plus of, w- of what he says throughout the passage of like, how, how will they know unless they call? And those that seek him, right? And those that confess will be saved. Why? Because you've got to get to that place. Belief and confession. You know what that is? Because, I mean, remember I said, your belief, what is that? Or you have an equation for it? Because at the end of the day, you will have an equation for it. Here's the equation. First, you've got to hear what's said. Then you've got to start to understand it. Then you've got to make a decision. You've got to make a decision up here, intellectually, about what you think about God and yourself. And then you've got to make a decision about your actions. That's what confession is. I thought confessing was like confessing sins. Yes, confessing sin. That's like this big Christian phrase that we've used for so long that we've forgotten what it means. Here's what it means. Something you did was wrong. You have to make a decision about that. Some things that I could do that are good and right, and other things were wrong. And I need to make a decision about those things going forward. Anybody go back to happy days? Sunday, Monday, happy day. Right? Fonzarelli? Nobody called him that. He was the Fonz, right? You remember the episode? He couldn't say it? I was he just like goes through this long thing, very dramatic, and the whole thing, and he he, he didn't want to say he was wrong, couldn't come to that decision. We've got to come to a decision and say, no, I'm sticking with this. That's it. No matter what, I know this is right and this is wrong, and then that's what we're going to do. You know when Star Trek came out, they had a pilot. Remember, remember what it was called. The cage, right? This new sci-fi thing and the networks weren't sure if they wanted to take a chance on it. This is all great information that you can see in the documentary For the Love of Spock, showing on Netflix now. (laughs) Rock Bible Church did not get paid for this this announcement, nor does it agree with any of the policies, principles of Netflix and anything. Okay, was that enough disclaimers? This first episode is called The Cage. um, and, And by the way, you know the first line in Star Trek history? No? It's great trivial pursuit kind of random knowledge. Ready? Check the circuit. It's the first line in Star Trek history. You know who said it? How'd you guess? Because you knew the name of the documentary, right? You're falling. He's tracking. You have any questions, ask Kevin. Okay? Um, Do you know that after the first pilot, it tanked so badly, the network came to Gene Roddenberry and says, yeah, uh, we're not sure we want to do this at all. We think it's over. Nice try. Thanks. I mean, you would have to change almost everything. In fact, we want you to change everything. You can redo it. We can start over, but you're going to have to change everything. Here's what Gene Roddenberry said. You can change anything you want. Everything. 
If you watch episode two, the bridge is different. The ship is different. How they do the paint, the color of the doors, and the, everything's different. The uniforms are different. There's only one thing that stays the same between episode one and the rest of the whole series. The longest standing piece of Star Trek ever. What had taken educated guess? What was the name of the documentary? Spock. Gene Roddenberry said, you can change everything, but I'm keeping Spock. I know Spock was good. Spock was right. He's staying on the show. If we're not having Spock, we're not doing it. He made a decision. And now look what we have today. Right? Random trivia for a sermon. Right? So you have to make a decision. And once you come to that decision, intellectually, belief, and your confession with your action, because you know that's what it is. You know what belief really is? Uh, This is a definition. This is quotable right here. Ready? Belief is understanding put into action. That's, that's, or obedience. That's, you just have to one-up me every time. Don't you? It's good. I like it. I like it. There's more than one source for truth. And all truth is God's truth. Amen? Uh, belief is really understanding put into action. His understanding put into obedience. That's really what it is. Uh, so first we hear, then we understand, then we start conditioning our heart with belief and confession. We start acting on it. And, and four... We obey and be sent. See, I was trying to hold obedience for step four. Okay, we obey and be sent. Have have they not obeyed? Israel didn't obey, right? Then you got that verse at the very end. He said, hold out my hand to what? A disobedient people, which implies what? What does God want? Obedience. Well, it's, it's not really just about what God wants. But if you were obedient, God would get what he wants. One, yes. But two, you would have a different experience, a learning experience. Your learning curve would go up. You ever thought about this? Your learning curve can go up or it can curve down. We never think of it that way, right? Learning curve, we we never think of our learning curve going down. We think of our learning curve going up because we're just ultimate optimists when it comes to ourselves and we're pessimists about everybody else. God says, be obedient and then watch where I send you and have that experience what will that be like know what's right and wrong know why it's right and wrong make decisions about it act like it and then let's go on a journey to seek out oh sorry (laughs) I was getting into Star Trek again Uh, obey and be sent and then lastly be the someone preach If you, get to, if, you, if you start hearing God, you start understanding God, you start having some belief and confession experience with Him, and you, you start obeying Him and being sent and doing some things, you're, you're going to have a level of wisdom, sageness, which I made that one up too, okay, deal with it. Uh, and you'll have something to explain to others. How will they believe how will they understand without someone to preach you know the best ways for you to learn and believe start figuring out how to preach i mean one of the worst and best things i could do to you is give you a sunday to preach because now you're gonna have to stand up here and talk about it like you know it which means you're gonna have to know it and you're gonna have to study it right and you get into it and you and you make progress that's what it's about. How do we condition our heart? You know, with the heart. 
we believe? It's the implication that our heart at some point doesn't believe and has to get to that place. And then farther down in the passage it says, you know, when your heart's not even in a place to believe, you know where it is? Disobedient and contrary. That's the end of the passage. At the top of the passage says, no, my heart's desire is for them and they, they be saved. How cool is that? That's like the ultimate position, condition of the heart. And he progressively goes backwards to, well, there was a position in the middle where the heart believed. And then way at the end of the passage says, yeah, but you know where it starts out? They have a real bad heart condition. And we could help them by being someone who preaches. There's your equation. Five steps to belief. One, you hear. Two, you try to understand it. Three, you believe and you confess. And you make some decisions about it. You start to turn in your belief into action. Four, you obey and be sent. And and being sent, you don't even have to preach. Like sometimes you just got to go help somebody. It's like, whoa, what's your theology behind that? I don't know. They needed help. I got hands. There's my theology. Right? Uh, but as you start to have more experiences, being sent will develop some theology for you. And you'll get to a place where number five, you will actually be able to preach. And you'll have something to say to someone. Who could you preach to? What do you know that you could teach? To who? Because here's, here's what happens. Like look, you got the outline with these five steps, right? Now look at the bottom on the right. you got two blanks. They're kind of off to the side with the arrows. And like, well, what's going on there? When you get through, you start working on your five-step process. And you get to steps four and five. In step four, when you start being obeyed, you start obeying and being sent then they, third person, will hear. They'll start to hear. Where, where did hear come from? Wasn't that step one in your process? You know, when you get to step four in your process, you might help someone else get to step one in theirs. When you get to step five in your process, where you be someone who preaches, you might help someone else, third person, get to their second step of their own process. They might begin to understand. You are never responsible for someone else's salvation. Amen, amen. It was one of the greatest freedoms of my job. But you do have the opportunity to have influence. And condition your heart so that you might help condition someone else's. Paul says, this is how I think about Israel. Love that. This is how we think about people that are different than us, people that are in our town, in our classrooms, in our job settings, down the street from us, whatever it is. Cut you off in traffic. It's the one I have trouble with. <laughs> because I'm still working on conditioning my own heart. Paul says, do that. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for this morning. And thank you that you are a God all day long and you hold out your hand that whole time every day to all and you give them a chance to believe confess call on seek you we thank you for that Lord pray you would help us help us understand where we are in the process 
what needs to be worked on next most. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand the condition of our heart. Every person here is in a different place, Lord. Help them to be clear on the specifics of their own condition. This morning, can I suggest a prayer for you? Ask, ask God, God, what is the condition of my heart? Where am I? And yet, where do you want me? For some of you, maybe the prayer is, God, what are you saying to me? I want to hear you. And as I hear you, help me understand you. Hey, God. Hey. Father, we thank you for all this. Thank you that you are that kind of God. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul. Thank you for this church. And then, Lord, we are reminded uh, Bryce, Mac, and getting on a flight here in a few minutes, going to procedure 30 days. And then 30 more days, uh, a questionable. And so pray, Lord, for that continued protection and your guidance. We know only you are in control. And Lord, we pray for Rich. We love Rich. We miss Rich. We want some loud answers from the back again. And Rich has been in the hospital. And Lord, we thank you that he's back home, but had quite a scare. And uh, we thank you that you started to heal and pray that you continue that process and bring him back to us. And then, Lord, we pray for those this morning that are asking you questions. Pray, Lord, you give them real answers. And we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.